Trinity Outreach Ministries International, a teaching ministry where lives are changed through prayer, worship, the word, fellowship, and outreach. March finds us in Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Luke has 24 chapters, and there is no way that we're going to cover the entire book in its entirety during this month, but we are going to hit a few topics in Luke so that you can benefit from the gospel according to Luke. And then next month, we will be in the gospel according to John. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus to Abraham, whereas Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus to Adam? Let me ask you that question again. Do you know that Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus to Abraham, whereas Luke traces the genealogy to Adam? And do you know that Matthew's approach to the genealogy was from the, the male side, whereas Luke's approach to the genealogy was from the female side? Do you know, let me ask you another question. Do you know that Luke was not one of the 12 apostles? And that Luke is a Gentile name? Wow. Let me ask you a third question. Do you know that Luke refers to Jesus' praying more than three times that recorded by Matthew? As a matter of fact, Matthew has three references to Jesus praying, where Luke has 11. What is the big difference here? So let us jump right into the book according the gospel according to Luke. The first thing I want you to observe is to go with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 1. Matthew's gospel, chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's look at that again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Come on down to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all of the generations from Abraham, from Abraham, from Abraham. All right, turn with me over to Luke's gospel, and we go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus Christ starts in verse 23 of Luke chapter 3. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of healing. 
Then he goes on and on and on. Come right down to verse 38. Sorry, 34. So he goes through Abraham at verse 34. But he does not stop there. He goes right down to 38. And he says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Here we observe right away, yes, that the genealogy of Matthew goes to Abraham, while the genealogy of Luke goes to Adam. Reason for that, let us explain. Matthew was writing to the Jews. Let's say that again. Matthew was addressing his work to the Jews. The Jews regarded Abraham as father Abraham. So as far as Matthew was concerned, as long as he could provide evidence that Jesus was indeed a descendant of Abraham, he got the attention of the Jew. Jesus, Mr. Jew, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Luke was not writing specifically to the Jews. Luke was writing to the Greeks, which were non-Jews. And as he was addressing the Greeks, he cannot provide evidence to the Greeks that would be influential evidence, substantive evidence that will cause them to listen, to tell them that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. So what he did is he went all the way back to show them that even before there was an Abraham, there was an Adam. And before there was an Adam, there was God. And therefore, Jesus is the Messiah for all people. Different approach. I have repeatedly told this congregation, you cannot witness to everybody the same way. You need to know what are their values, what are their interests, and then show them the relevance of God. Otherwise, you come over as trying to browbeat people with irrelevance. Know God. Know who he is. And know how he applies to the particular situation that the person is facing. And right here again, we see that. Both of them writing a genealogy. But one being a conscious and aware of the fact that he's writing to the Hebrews, to the Jews. He stops and features that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Because all they talked about day in day out was Father Abraham. And so this Jesus was a descendant of Father Abraham. So he had to be the real Messiah. Luke, on the other hand, speaking to the Greeks, the non-Jews. And so he wanted to show them that this Jesus is for all people. So he does not feature Abraham as the main stopping point or starting point in the genealogy. He goes all the way back to Adam and then on 
to God. So that takes care of our first question. Our second question that we're tracing today is, do you know that Luke was not one of the 12 apostles and that Luke is a Gentile name? As a matter of fact, Luke is regarded as the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. Now remember, Mark used a Gentile name, but Mark's other's name was John. So he was not, strictly speaking, a Gentile, but he had a Gentile name which he utilized to help to get the gospel over to the Gentiles. So Luke now is what you will call the born and bred Bajan. Not just a Bajan name. And Luke was from Antioch. Antioch. Luke was from Antioch. Let us run through a few things briefly from a biblical perspective concerning Luke. Go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. And you will notice from verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that as Jesus went out to the mountains to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to him, and from, him, from those he selected twelve, who he named apostles. Now if you go through those li that list, you will not find Luke, because Luke was not an apostle. So who was Luke? Let us trace and see if we can find out then who Luke was. Here, I want you to go to a little book just before Hebrews. And that book is known as Philemon. Philemon. Turn quickly or scroll quickly or swipe quickly. Whichever one you're doing. And come to Philemon. Once you find Hebrews, go back by one book. It's between Titus and Hebrews, that one little book known as Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. This is written by Paul. And if you come down to verse 24, you find Mark, another long name, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer. Luke, my fellow laborer. So here you go. Luke was a fellow laborer of Paul. That's the first thing that we picked up. Next, we're going to observe that Luke was on the missionary journeys, at least the second and third missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. But before we get to that, I want you to reverse a little bit from Philemon into 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 11. And you will see again, Paul is writing... And he's saying, only Luke is with me. So Luke was a companion, an associate, a comrade of Paul. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. 
Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Acts chapter 16. Now after he had seen the vision, go back to verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's verse 9. Verse 10. Now after, we, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you look through Paul's second missionary journey and his third missionary journey, you will repeatedly see we, us, we, us, we, us. Why is that relevant to us? Go back to Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Sir, what former account and who is the writer? Go back to Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered of the word delivered them to us. So those who were eyewitnesses and ministers delivered the word to us. That's the first us, Luke, being not an eyewitness, but a companion, a comrade who came along. Verse 3. It seemed good to me, Luke, also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Wow. Now, a few things right away. You will notice that in going through the book of Luke, it is very Detailed. Luke is one of the most detailed gospels. Specifics. In terms of time, he is one of the most specific in terms of history. And he is regarded to have been a researcher and a historian in addition to being a medical physician. Go with me to Colossians chapter 4. And then we'll come back to Luke. Yeah, you keep turning. I want you to see it in your own Bible. Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to stop at one verse. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician. And Demas greet you. Again, Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And he is saying, with me here is Luke, the beloved physician. And other places we will find that Luke is the 
physician from the hometown of Antioch. So he was definitely a Gentile. But now, go back to Luke. And this time, I want you to stop at Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Only a detailed historian will write something like this. And it is all over Luke. But this is a classic example so that anyone coming afterwards can specifically place the time of this event. Luke chapter 3. Now in the what? 15th year of the reign of who? Tiberius Caesar. That's number one. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. That's number two. See how he's pinning down the time in history? Do you see how he's pinning down the time in history? It's not just in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign. Number two, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. Number three, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee. Oh dear, a historian will write all this like this, back to back to back. His brother, Philip, being the tetrarch of Aitua, Aituria. Okay, hold a second. Aituria, right? And the region of Traconitis. And Lysanus, Tetrarch of Abilene. Emphasis on the L.E. See how he's going there? You can't go wrong when you take all of this historical information to find when he was talking about. He was talking about when COVID had visited Barbados, when Mia Motley was, was Prime Minister and Sandra Mesa was President. You see how he's doing it? Do you see how he's doing it? And if you read the book of Luke, he pins down history. As a matter of fact, Luke was criticized by so many persons for making up history until archaeologists and the others doing the research shut all of them up. So today, in biblical, uh, uh, among biblical scholars and in Bible schools, Luke is promoted as the most accurate historical document in the New Testament. It took years to confirm, but it has stood the test of time. They were able now to prove every historical reference that he has in there. That there was a man known as Jesus the Christ that lived at that time. And that event did take place. Could somebody give God praise in the house? And when I read that, I said to myself, in the body of Christ, there is need for every gift. Some of us are big picture oriented. But the ministry should never run with only big picture oriented people. You need people who are very detail oriented to pin things down. Because when people come along to criticize, they have detail number one, two, three, four, five that pins it down and gets it exactly right. 
Go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. What do we notice there? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. Luke emphasizes the fact that Jesus was available to the downtrodden and the average man in the street and also the outcasts. Luke emphasizes that. He, Jesus was available. He was not someone you had to go through. The administrative assistant, the personal administrative assistant, the private administrative assistant, and then finally, you might get a call back. But Jesus was available. Now, what it is that Luke was trying to get over to the Greeks. He was trying to show the Greeks that you place a lot of value and interest into the perfection of humanity. That was a Greek's approach to life. Perfect man, correct body, six pack and beyond. Perfect intellect, philosophical, psychological, all the others. Perfect, perfect, perfect. The Greeks were interested in having the perfect body, the perfect intellect, the perfect. In other words, the Greeks were very concerned about, uh, had a high value and interest in the perfection of man. I told you. Do not try to witness to everybody the same. It is not about Bible bashing. You don't walk up in people's face. John 3.16, you're going to hell, you sinner. Repent or perish. Now, that might work for some people. But that will not work for others. And everywhere we look in the Bible, we see where Jesus was relevant to the values and interests of the people. All right. In the few minutes I have remaining, let us look at the third question. Do you know that Luke referred to Jesus praying more than three times that recorded by Matthew? And the answer is yes. Matthew recorded Jesus praying three times. As a matter of fact, Mark recorded Jesus' prayer four times. And as a matter of fact, John regards and refers to Jesus praying four times. As a matter of fact, if you add three in Matthew, you add four in Mark, you add four in John, you end up in what? Eleven. So in Luke alone, we have Jesus praying the total number of times that Matthew, Mark, and John would refer to Jesus praying. That's amazing. Why? Because Luke wanted to show the Greeks 
that a perfect man was a man of prayer. I done. I can say that a hundred times until you get it. If you are not a man of prayer, Luke was saying, you are not even striving towards perfection as a man. Let's bow our heads together. What is your prayer life like? How much priority do you put on your prayer life? A little grace before a meal? A scream about Jesus because you nearly got in an accident? A scream about Jesus because a sudden pain hit you and you had to go to the emergency A&E? How is your prayer life? But if your prayer life is not what you know it should be, then you know that it is not what God would like it to be. Is prayer a priority in your life? Yes or no? And that is a question that each and every one of us must answer. Luke wanted to show that a perfect man was a man of prayer. Heavenly Father, I bring this congregation before you. Heads bowed across this congregation. But I pray heads bowed along across the Zoom platform and the YouTube platform. Lord, may this word not be for intellectual reasons, but that may, may, Lord, someone in here will come to the realization that if Jesus, the perfect man, was a man of prayer, and I am interested in Jesus, then I need to follow the example of Jesus. And make prayer a priority. Right where you're sitting with no one looking around with all heads bowed. No standing. Just where you are sitting. With all heads bowed. If you would like to change your prayer life with immediate effect today. And you would like me to have a word of prayer for you. That the Holy Spirit will help you to make prayer a priority in your life. With no one looking around on a heads bow, just raise that right hand towards heaven. All over this audience. Yes, 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 yes. Please lower them now. Yes. God saw. God saw. God saw. Hands raised right across this congregation. Heavenly Father. I bow in your presence and I bring before you the persons who raise their hands indicating that from this day forward I need to bump up my prayer life to a different level. I need to make prayer a priority in my life. You saw those hands. And Lord, you didn't only see the hands, but you saw the hearts. And so some might have raised their hands just to satisfy the preacher. But you look past that, Lord. 
And you saw those who raised their hands because of a genuine desire in their hearts to make prayer a matter of priority. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will touch those this very day. And from today onwards, prayer will become a priority in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What is prayer? Before I show you a few of the examples of Jesus praying. What is prayer? It is talking to God. But it's not just talking to God or communicating with God. It's communicating to God with an attitude that has three distinct characteristics. Talking to God with an attitude that has three distinct characteristics. Characteristic number one, respect who you're talking to. Whenever you come to talk to God, realize you're not talking to a little leftover boy in the yard. Realize you're not talking to a playmate. Realize you're not talking to a worthless individual. You are talking to the Lord God Almighty. The maker of heaven and earth. So you come with an attitude, with a characteristic of respect. Respect. Secondly, you come with a characteristic of dependence. Lord, I respect who you are, and I'm declaring my dependence on you. In other words, I cannot handle this by myself. I need your help. I am declaring my dependence on you. Communication with God, with an attitude of respect, an attitude of dependence, and an attitude of obedience. Many times the Lord does not answer our prayers. Not because we are not respectful, but because we listen without any attitude to obey what he says. We have already made up our mind what we're doing. And all we want God to do is put a rubber stamp on it. And God says, go along. Says, you know exactly what to do, go along. I ain't in that. I ain't in that at all. So, an attitude of respect, an attitude of dependence, and an attitude of obedience. I like what Mary told those people at the wedding ceremony when they were out of wine. Whatsoever he says unto you, 
do it. It's a motto that you should follow to have your prayers answered. Whatsoever he says to you, do it. I was chatting with someone from this congregation recently. And they told me they had a bill to pay. And they scraped up all of the money in everybody's pocket and everybody's handbag. There was nothing on the bank, so there's no sense going to the ATM. And they were $100 short on the bill. Guess what? They told me that they received a call from another Trinity champion who they had not discussed anything with. And the Trinity champion told them, I need to see you today. Where are you so we can meet on the road? And guess what? The Trinity champion told the other one, I brought a card for you. A card for you. One drove off in one direction and the other one went home. She said when she got home and she opened the card, $100. So she sat on the floor and cried. She had not discussed it with the person who called and there's nobody under the sun knew that she needed $100. But God. Could somebody say, but God. And therefore, when God speaks, obey. Oh, I can carry $100 tomorrow. No, no, no. God said, carry $100 to this party today. He knows the bigger picture. So when we listen, we listen with a sense of respect. We listen with a sense of dependence. We listen with a sense of obedience. There was one Trinity champion calling upon God. Declaring her dependence on God. And then another Trinity champion calls and says, I need to meet you. She could say, I ain't going nowhere and burn my gas. But she turned up. And burst out in tears. I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony. Obedience. When God says do something, stop arguing. Obey. And quickly, I'm just going to give you a few scriptures and close. Luke has 11 references of Jesus praying. I'm not going to give you 11. I'm going to just give you, let me see, we can cut it down to about Quickly, seven. Uh, let me do less than that. Six. Let's do six quickly. Number one, Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he, what? 
prayed. So right away, we are introduced to the perfect man praying. Number two, go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and I'm going to go over at verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we have the incident. Come on down to verse 16. So Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Number three, I want to take you to Luke's gospel, chapter 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. Number four, Luke's gospel, chapter 9. Luke's gospel, chapter 9. I want to pick up at verse 18. Luke's gospel, chapter 9. I want to pick up at verse 18. Luke 9, 18. And it happened as he was alone praying. Alone praying. And Luke 11. We will stop there. Luke 11, chapter, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass as he was in a certain place, what? Praying. Now, a quick one as we bring this to a close. The perfect man is a man of prayer. Quickly, some persons think that Luke 11 is simply another record of the same event that took place in Matthew 6. We had a sermon on the mount. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But in reality, those two prayers were not given at the same time. They are more than a year apart in different locations with different groups. In Matthew, he's dealing with a crowd. In Luke, he's dealing with his disciples. And what he is giving both of them is the model of prayer. We will stop there. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence today. I bring myself and I bring this congregation before you. I thank you for the faithfulness of coming out, of worshiping, of giving, of being blessed. We thank you for everything that has happened in this service. The worship team, the band, the renewal of the marriage vows, the blessing of the groups. We thank you, Lord, for everything. And now as we go and we praise and we magnify and glorify your name, help us to see what Luke was trying to get the Greeks to understand, that the perfect man is a man of prayer. I ask that every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl stepping out of this auditorium this week will make a greater priority and place a greater priority on their prayer life in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Trinity Outreach Ministries International. 
growing and going by increasing in the knowledge of God.